Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center podcast feed, and this particular episode of the Four Center podcast feed is the Clone Wars Report. <laughs> and the noise that we get for this particular arc is uh, the lamentations of a droid, the song of a droid. What were you? Yeah. What were you thinking? Was the emotional intent <laughs> of the droid? The song of the droid is the documentary I now want. Yeah, uh, I've never. I, I didn't realize to that moment. I don't think I've ever attempted to 
um, impersonate an astromech of any kind, or two. They're so emotive. I think you did a very, very good job. It sounded like that droid was maybe right. uh, like ordering an oil bath, like an exclusive high-end yeah. oil bath, like we see R2 get in the Clone yeah. Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Hopeful that relief for their stress would be uh, arriving yes, soon. Yes, exactly. Well, we are happy to be here. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. The person beeping is a droid, uh, is Ken Nabsock, and we are excited to dive into this particular arc of the Clone Wars. As we're getting into Season 5, it seems like every arc is a huge, important one. Certainly the next one is. This one's kind of huge and important in that it is George Lucas's stated favorite arc <laughs> and perhaps one of the more uh controversial we will get into that of course but it is the d squad the droid arc the episodes in this arc season five episode 10 secret weapons written by brent friedman and directed by danny keller season five episode 11 a sunny day in the void written by brent friedman and directed by kyle dunlevy season five episode 12 missing in action written again by brent friedman and directed by Stuart lee Season 5, Episode 13, Point of No Return, written by Brent Friedman and directed by Bosco Eng. So just like a lot of the arcs in Season 5, one writer for uh, all of the episodes in the arc, and then a collection of wonderful Clone Wars directors. Uh, Ken, we're getting to get into uh, uh, all of the <laughs> ideas mm. in this great arc, um, but before we go any farther, I do want to have a content warning, and uh, I don't want to be jokey about it but there is uh, a part of it that's uh, a, a weird shock to me <laughs> uh and that yeah. is i often think of this arc is the silly droid arc the one with all the the funnies that i powered through so i could get to uh, the big mall episodes on my first viewing um and there is not surprisingly a lot of depth I was really surprised watching these episodes uh, to uh, remember or experience new that there are actually um, there is actually discussion of suicide. So we do just want to uh, we might be talking about that. Some of it is framed in the context of, of jokes in in the show. So we did want to have that content warning that we might be uh, talking about some of those uh, heavier issues because they are in in the arc. I mean, to a surprising degree, again, when you're revisiting these episodes. I, and yeah, I think I think it's fair to do that. So good call. Okay, there. so with content warning out of the way, uh, do you have anything that you want to share before we go into the summary? Or I know you are, you are bursting with thoughts and feelings. Do you want to share anything before the summary <laughs> yeah. or after? No, I cannot wait for your summary, and then we'll we'll give a you know big overall reaction, general picture. Of yeah. All right. Well, then here we go with the summary. Secret codes. The Separatist Army has a new unbreakable code to decipher it. The Republic needs a Separatist encryption module. So the Republic Army and the Jedi come up with a daring plan to board a dreadnought and steal the module. For this daunting task, a shocking new squad is assembled, made up of loyal Jedi droids, astromechs, R2. D2, Q2, QTKT, UNC4, and M5BZ, plus pit droid turned pilot WAC 47. Finally, the newly minted D Squad will be led by the diminutive Zilkin and allegedly accomplished battle strategist 
Colonel Mibar Gascon. Uh, the droids receive upgrades from the zealous Parwan scientist Dr. Gubachar uh, Gubakar, and uh, M5BZ's memory core is hollowed out to make room for Mibar's command center in the droid's head. The D-Squad successfully boards a Separatist dreadnought, while Mibar and WAC-47 bicker over who should truly be in command. The astromechs, led by R2, plunge forward and get the job actually done. The whole team comes together in a brutal anti-gravity fight with deadly separatist droids and escape with the encryption module. But wait, that's just the first episode of four. The squad's ship is forced out of hyperspace by a massive comet storm. They crash land on the planet Abafar and explore its vast, featureless desert known as the Void. Mieber insists that the droids aren't capable of navigating this terrain because they only think with their programming. WAC-47 counters that Mieber only relies on his military training, which is a form of programming. After seeing a mirage, Mieber just bleeping snaps, <laughs> giving in to deep existential dread. The astromechs head off on their own and let Mieber deal uh, with what he's going through. Mieber and WAC-47 both strive to change their programming, looking for solutions outside of the rational. Their epiphany is rewarded by the stomping feet of a herd of void striders. Mieber decides to follow the animal's instincts. They grab hold and arrive in a sunken city, only to discover the astromechs have already arrived. Reunited, D-Squad searches for food and energy. They discover a Solston diner owner named Mr. Borkus. He has tricked a wounded clone into becoming his personal servant. The clone... Gregor is a clone commando who escaped the horrific battle of Serish and landed on Abafar with amnesia. R2 triggers his memory by playing a hologram of Captain Rex. Gregor and the droids face down the violent Mr. Borkus, who insists Gregor is just a dishwasher, and they reclaim his armor and weapons. Having noticed battle droids on the surface, D-Squad realizes the Separatists are mining Abafar for the explosive fuel Rhydonium. Gregor uses his clone skills, blast in an action Roland, and appears to sacrifice himself, allowing D-Squad to steal the battle droid's shuttle and escape. The D-Squad is finally home, but wait, they quickly realize the Republic cruiser has been commandeered by Separatist droids. D-Squad rescues the remaining Republic droids, an LEP servant droid, a mouse droid, a wed treadwell, and two gonks, who inform them the ship is loaded with Rhydonium. It's a bomb heading straight for the Republic strategy conference over at Caridia. The Jedi Council and Republic military leadership will be wiped out. The squad itself is almost slaughtered by waves of buzz droids, but they are saved by the valiant sacrifice of BZ. Having learned more respect for the droids, Mieber gives a big speech, and together they devise a plan. The squad fights its way to the shuttle while R2 programs the detonator to explode early. The plan does not work. Showing flexibility, Mieber attempts to change the plan to help R2, but this also fails. The squad does escape on the shuttle as R2 makes the sacrifice and sets off the bomb early. Anakin Skywalker demands search parties scour the debris and a wounded R2 is rescued, repaired, and honored for the true hero he is. Mieber praises the squad and then laughs uncomfortably as WAC-47 reveals they'll be serving together for the rest of the war. The end for now. <laughs> it's a wild one. Look, th there's a beautiful summary, as, as always. Great work. But this is... For years, hey, Ken, have you watched the D-Squad stuff? I'd be like, is that, is that the stupid one where the droids get lost? <laughs> and that's all I remembered. That's all I remembered. But you've just described 
some amazing stuff. Epic, epic story with uh, with a lot uh, yeah. going on. I was I was expecting that going in uh, that it that there was much more to it than when I watched it uh, quickly the first time around. Uh, but I was uh, I was pleasantly shocked <laughs> if that is uh, a thing. Well, I guess it is now. So let's get into our overall reactions, loving it, liking it, struggling with it. We always uh, often talk about our, our previous journey, and you really have some thoughts mm. here. So please. Take the floor. <laughs> At the risk of just sounding like a blowhard, and I know sometimes we, we've been broadcasting for now well over 1,100 episodes, six years. We're going to tell some stories or retell some things, but we also have new listeners along the way. I just felt, Joseph, it was a good time to recap how much this, it, this return to the void, as I'm calling it. It's a face-to-face reunion with Colonel Mieber Gascon for me. I, I, I to, Struggled mightily doesn't even summarize it. It just was, that was without a doubt. I was like, this is the worst thing ever. In Star Wars, I would cite it. I would cite Mieber Gascon as that, like, hey, you know what? Uh, you think Star Wars is, uh, you know, totally serious and dark and gritty. Don't forget there was a frog guy, which, by the way, still works, but from just maybe a different point of view now. And I, I've been blessed to, over the years, did get to know and be friends with Stephen Stanton, and he used to be able to go to dinner. It's been a couple of years, to be honest, but I, to Stephen Stanton's face, have said that Mieber Gascon, Gascon is my least favorite Star Wars character. <laughs> and he just laughed. He gave me a Mieber laugh. Um, <laughs> He he didn't he he just he didn't fight it you know he just he just you'll get there eventually and guess what I'm I'm here so I never thought I'd watch these episodes ever again here we are and so I'll go into maybe some updated takes on them but there's so much here and I Joseph I want to also shout out our buddy Alex Damon Star Wars Explain he has a great video out that just released a couple weeks ago just exploring a little bit more of that idea that this is George's favorite arc and that a sunny day in the void is his listed favorite episode of the Clone Wars. Great video. It's stuff that's, um, you know, pulls from a lot of different spots. Uh, but it, it, I've always taken that as George being a little bit of that, um, Sabaro food court eaten stubborn George. <laughs> where just like, nah, you know, my favorite's the weird droid one. Everyone hates. I'm sure there's some of that energy from George, but this connects to, THX 1138. This connects to his pure cinema upbringings. This connects to his avant-garde side and it connects to his big, just, you know, the void, the limbo that we we might find ourselves in. And that's how we discover who we are. It's big stuff. Alex really did a great job summarizing it. Shout out to that video. I uh, really loved it. So that's my starting point for this video. Oh, that is a great starting point. Uh, and I think uh, I mirror it in some ways. Uh, I, I did, I've never uh, said to Stephen Stanton's face <laughs> uh, that Mimi Gascon was my, my least uh, favorite character. Um, but... Um, I think I've shared a lot. I was watching the Clone Wars kind of by myself. I got Netflix. I'm finally, you know, it's all on Netflix. I'm going to finally check it out. Uh, some rocky stuff at the beginning, but a lot of stuff I liked. And then it was just mm. it, oh, it. One of my greatest Star Wars memories and experiences ever. It just opened up uh, so much in me of appreciating what the Clone Wars era is. And then as it gets into these later seasons, the darker episodes, the bigger episodes, I'm sure I'll talk next week of... Uh, by the time Darth Maul is fighting, what I'm thinking of at the time still is, yeah, they're Mandalorians. I get it. But those are Boba Fett guys. Darth Maul is fighting mm. Boba Fett guys <laughs> with lightsabers. Uh, I, I like I paused to go like, do people know this exists? <laughs> this is the most Star Wars that has ever Star Wars. Um, yeah. Along, in that run, I was so anxious to get to the big mall confrontation. You know, we have the episodes where he's coming back. Um, the, the, the seasons are, you know, out of order. So we have that first episode uh, of the season, which is actually chronologically we're going to watch next. 
Mm. But it, th- it, this, all of that is to say, this arc was like the last and hardest uh, part of my journey to just speed watch and just get to mall. <laughs> so I watched the episode, and particularly the first one, I just really responded to just like the comedy is like. I get it. This is about not judging people by their appearance. Uh, they're all they're all fighting. It's great comedy stuff. Great. It's you know, how many episodes of this are there before I get them all? Four episodes. So I was not in a place to receive them. You know, that that was my yeah, journey, yeah. and I knew that going into this rewatch of this is great. I know there's going to be more at work than I was willing to even try to see the first time I watched them. Yeah. Um, and I and I think that my overall reaction is that I really really like this arc. I don't think it'll ever be my absolute favorite, like uh, George mm-hmm. Lucas's, but it really is something different and something special. And mm-hmm. I love that it starts with the different colored logo, the blue letters announcing <laughs> this is different. Yeah. This is special. Um, and I think you know my only real real criticism is I feel like that some of the comedy beats get get repeated, especially if you like just watch it all all in a yeah. row. And you know some of the comedy beats are are straightforward. Uh, some are super sharp, sharp. Some are super dark. But what I think I love the most about this art can a ton of great ideas in it. But it is that sort of beautiful tonal whiplash. <laughs> that mm-hmm. some people when they come to certain parts of star wars don't like of like p- pick a tone pick a lane and stay in it and i think what i often like about star wars and in and, and a lot of uh sort of pulpy genre storytelling is the tonal whiplash it, it's a wacky comedy with droids that veers from slapstick to horror to existential dread to true deep important life lessons to actual horrible tragedy and back to slapstick and sometimes all at the same mm. time it's just um it, it is just kind of jaw dropping in its its beautiful uh tonal whiplash <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I i to pick up on that point I, i'll say this right now i don't know if i'll spend too much time with the these episodes again in the future now that we've gone through the rewatch i don't know uh but i really do view view these as incredibly brave and artistic episodes because they they all know anyone in that room anyone making this show and they conceived it and went to George with it. This is, wasn't the other way around uh, based on some stuff Filoni was saying in, in 2020. I can't imagine anyone on that team thought, oh, people are going to love a frog guy leading some droids. Yeah. Right. Like even then, like, it can't be like, this is going to be peak Star Wars. They knew what they were doing. And I think there's some, some just wonderful conviction behind that of just, no, we're going to tell this story. And that's the thing. They made them. There's great value in these stories. Great entertainment. R2 is an absolute boss. Yep. Gregor is key to many Star Wars stories yep. to come. And uh, giant important themes. So uh, hats off to to them. Whether or not I watch these again doesn't matter. What's there is there. And uh, that's what we're here to dive yeah. into. Yeah. And I, I should say I did really enjoy Gregor even the first time around of that idea of like a clone with amnesia mm. and being held back from what they're really supposed to do. So even though I was watching these fast oh, and, and mostly in my memory yeah. wrote them off is, is the, the comedy arc with the droids uh, did, uh, did really like Gregor. The other thing I, I want to be sure to share in this overall reaction is the incredibly weird sort of will of the force journey that I took with these episodes again. Um, so mm-hmm. I watched them all uh, on Monday um, and I made all my notes and I had lots of uh, uh, feelings about them and about all the big thematic ideas. And we're going to talk about them. And in particular, A Sunny Day in the Void was like, OK, this is like this weird short film that mixes. It's a French avant-garde film that mixes <laughs> mm. uh 
comedy mm-hmm. and, and existential dread in a way that I absolutely love. This is great. So now I've got this new thing in my life, Ken, where my wife has dance rehearsal on Tuesday nights. So for the last three weeks, mm. the Tuesday night has been Joseph pick a movie night. Um, <laughs> and I've just been like, I'm going to decide ahead of time. Uh, and I saw on Monday night. Oh, wow. HBO Max uh, added THX 1138 back because it was on. It came back. And I was like, mm. I've. I've never watched it all the way through. I've seen bits and pieces. I've read about it. I get it. It's a dystopian. Like, I've never watched it. I'll watch THX 1138. Mm -hmm. I haven't watched Alex's video. I didn't know any of this. So uh, the the next day after watching A Sunny Day in the Void, I'm watching THX 1138. And halfway through, like, what the actual bleep? (laughs) A Sunny Day in the Void is this scene from THX 1138 and it is playing with these same important ideas about those who (laughs) sit around and pontificate and worry about the problem and those who are willing to do something about it in this great existential image of the void and just like what a journey to like really fully deeply realize what I had thought is the silly comedy arc is riffing mm. on Lucas's first film, his grim dystopian horror film. <laughs> Does, uh, uh, I, I'm I'm with you in the in the category of uh, I've seen bits and pieces back in the film school days. Watched parts of it, didn't get all the way through myself. So I think I owe it a viewing. Uh, is R two Bob Duvall? Is that what's going on? Is he Bob <laughs> Duvall? Kinda, yeah. In my opinion, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we'll get into it all with, with all the kind of thematic stuff. And, you know, Teak Checks 1138 was just like, you know, that was a really great journey because I, I knew a lot of things, but to see them all put yeah. together, I got to feel them, you know, and it was fascinating to see something mm. that is so, so George Lucas in the ideas, some of the visuals, uh, but the ideas that are in that film that are absolutely you know, lockstep with a ton of the ideas in Star Wars are presented in such a different package, right? They're uh, presented mm-hmm. uh, almost a little bit more art house. Uh, they re- the soundtrack reminds me of David Lynch. I, I was still watching the the mm-hmm. final minutes uh, when Sarah got home and she was like, are you watching a Lynch film? Like, no, George Lucas's first film. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it's also just a, a reminder yeah. that uh, we try to say this a lot about Star Wars, like the ideas in Star Wars are not, you know, totally unique to Star Wars in any way, shape or form. Part of what their power is, is the way that they're presented. So to see these exact mm-hmm. same ideas, you know, in THX 1138 that appear many places in Star Wars, but with an entirely different presentation. And I know that was, you know, Lucas has talked about in interviews of like, OK, I needed to say the same things, but with hope of like, no, I don't need, I, yeah. I can't just show the problems and bum people out. I need to show them, here are the problems and here's might be a way mm. out. Um, and it was just uh, amazing to see that in action with specifically wow. the silly droid arc. Wow, that's great. That's some powerful will of force it right It really there. is. Thank you, force. <laughs> I was really, really surprised <laughs> by that. Anyway, that's yeah. just our overview. Yeah. That's before we even get into it. Yeah. Uh, any other big picture thoughts before we get into the details? Uh, the, the only thing I wanted to jump into is just like, it, it, and it's okay as a Star Wars fan. There's so much stuff out there. You're not going to remember every detail, especially on the Clone Wars episodes. There's just so much going on there. But I remember one episode we were doing, uh, we were talking, and Gregor came up. And you had said, oh, and Gregor, you know, remember we first kind of really saw him in the in the D-Squad arc. And I just, I think on air, I was like, oh, my God, you're <laughs> right. 
I just had, you know, you don't factor that in. And it's great stuff, by the way. Can't wait to talk about it. But it just, yeah, that, that happens. And that's why it's, there's great value in revisiting these things, especially after a few years where maybe your your perspective might have changed or things in your own life might uh, affect the way you take in these stories. Uh, or at the end of the day, you're like, hey, this particular arc isn't for me. Uh, that's fine. That's all fair. But it's just a lesson in that of like, oh, that's right. Gregor, you thought it was nothing. It's pretty big. Real big, real big. And we'll discuss uh, Gregor in the canon section, definitely. Uh, dear listeners, mm. please know, we, we know Gregor makes it up <laughs> and, and goes on to even more adventures. But for now, uh, let's get into some of the details. We always like to talk about the morals of the episode. Four episodes, four morals. Uh, here they are. Humility is the only defense against humili- humiliation. Uh, I just humiliated myself. Perfect. Humility is the only defense <laughs> against humiliation. When all seems hopeless, a true hero gives hope. A soldier's most powerful weapon is courage. You must trust in others or success is impossible. Did any of those uh, grab you, put on your old uh, baseball coaching hat and uh, and lead us through this? <laughs> There's a lot of uh, uh, Coach Ken and Boss Ken lessons in these episodes here. Good, good and bad examples. I really, I, at the end of the day, I'm starting to think which one jumped out the most. It is humility is the only defense against humiliation. Uh, maybe a take on pride comes before the fall, whatever you, whatever you want to look at it. Because it's just kind of so true. Uh, uh, shame, embarrassment, all those kind of things uh, are natural and, and to be experienced and to be processed. I get that. But this one really just, yeah, yeah. All the times I've been humiliated, it's because I probably had a little bit too much bluster going into the situation. <laughs> yeah. That's just my take on it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I th- I like all of them. I think all of them match their episodes very well. And a lot of them are uh, some great Star Wars wisdom that we can find in, in many places of Star Wars. Uh, so humility is the only defense against humiliation jumped out to me. I think partially because of the amount of time I've, I've spent thinking about comedy. And that is how that mm. one uh, speaks to me the idea of something that can be perceived as a weakness. Like if you take yourself very, very seriously, um, the more rigid you make make yourself, the easier you are to break. And uh, mm-hmm. I think one of the points of comedy is to sort of uh, obviously comedy, a successful performance of comedy can kind of lead to uh, power, but that power is coming from a place of humility of like, I want to be laughed at, right? I want to uh, mm-hmm. say here is something dumb that I have done uh, and it's something that could be weaponized against me. you like telling a, a, a story on yeah. stage, particularly about like a really dumb thing that you did. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, the time that you, you know, I don't, I don't need examples. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Uh, but if you turn something that could be a weakness into like, I did something dumb and I, I have such fear that people will find out uh, because I can't be perceived as weak. I can't be humiliated. And instead you turn that into a strength and a power by sharing that, right? Like it's a mm, kind of yeah. humility, at least a power, but that's where my, my mind goes on that one. Uh, yeah, no, I like that. I agree with that too. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And the other ones are, I think are real good stuff, but some of them, uh, yeah, it's like, I get it. I get it. But, you know, we connect to these things on a very personal level sometimes. So that first one, yeah. really good. Big, big, strong one there. So let's go into the big ideas, the big themes. Uh, Ken, what do you feel is at stake in this big D-Squad arc? Yeah, I think I think it's fair to start in, in kind of this overall view, uh, you know, trying to, to take into account these all 
all, all four of these episodes. I went with this this thing of identity, right? Your place and your purpose and all of this. Who are you? Who, 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 who? Uh, and just how uh, the planet Abafar's voyage just really removes everything from the picture except for yourself and says, all right, discover who you are, right? It's kind of this big thing going over, over all of this, I thought. And then it just kind of, you know, cascades down in different things. Obviously, programming versus training. The value of instinct, which is something uh, I really love and I really value. But I think some of that instinct comes from either your programming or training kind of fueling uh, those feelings you have, even when maybe you don't know what to do with those feelings. This big one here, um, more of a, a theme, but maybe more of a, a lesson. Again, going to the humility thing, bluster versus confidence <laughs> in those two categories. And I'm looking at you, Mieber. Uh, so that, that's some of the big stuff that I was focused yeah, on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think we are aligned. I think uh, might have maybe kind of broken it up in, in similar ways as well. But I, I want to start with the thing yeah. that you started with, which I think is like the biggest overall thing. And then there's other stuff that's really supporting it of this idea uh, that we, how we define ourselves, how we define ourselves by the way that others look at us. And in particular, that uh, every individual can be more than just what we appear to be. There's so much direct language in these uh, episodes, so much talk about judging people by what they appear to be not what their actual skill set is or what the individual's aspirations are, right? Um, Very early Mm -hmm. on, obviously, it starts with Mieber looking down his nose at droids in general, in particular, Astromex, right? He says uh, he's just a droid in response to a droid wanting to do something. Uh, WAC-47 is already kind of special and different in that he is a pilot, right? Uh, But then he, he has aspirations towards leadership, uh, and and he, he is told, Black 47 is told that he is just a pilot. You are just the role that I currently mm. see you in. Black 47 gets cranky and yeah. says, just a pilot. We'll see about that. Um, and then it even yeah. it extends to like Mieber, right? This is everybody. It's not just sort of like Mieber is, is the foolish, uh, blustering clown uh, saying this mm. about other people. It's happening to him too, right? That he is, he identifies himself, is this great mm. military uh, analyst by trade. And then there, that great comedy moment where WAC-47 realizes like, oh, you don't plan things. You just look at battles after they have already happened and say, what happened? Mm. <laughs> and he, yeah. and there's this yeah. specific exchange where Mieber says, I'm a military analyst by trade. And uh, WAC-47 says, you are a map reader. And all the droids laugh at him. So, uh, yeah. I mean, that's just the beginning yeah. point for me. And that's just in the first episode. There's even mm-hmm. more stuff with this. But I love that it's, all of the characters kind of doing it to one another. It's not just a bad guy and somebody who has the right perspective. Mm-hmm. It's all of them not kind of letting each other be who they aspire to be. I think that's a great point because even at one point, R2 is one of the ones that takes a shot at Wack. He beeps, beeps, and 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 that's when Wack's kind of like, well, I'm not just a pilot. I'll show you yeah. type of thing. It's like even our hero, R2, kind of has that. And and that's the, that's the danger we all can uh, fall yeah, into. Yeah, absolutely. Um so I think it's got get, get so well established with the droid dynamic and show what they want to grow to and what they need to learn from one another. But then it happens with <laughs> Mr. Borkus, whose name I can't say without a hearty chuckle. Uh, Mr. Borkus, mm-hmm. you know, trying to really manipulate Gregor and insist that he is just a dishwasher that, you know, he's having his mm-hmm. identity actively assigned and it is uh, nothing wrong with being a dishwasher, but that is not what Gregor's identity has been. It's not what Gregor chooses, uh, you know, for mm. his identity. Um, and then I think mm. th- this theme really mm. plays out in actions, right? BZ's sacrifice 
you know, it's significant that it's BZ yeah. who makes that ultimate sacrifice of opening the door and getting thrown into into hyperspace because it proves he's more than just mm. a hollow command center, right? He's more than a vehicle. Yeah. Um, I think there's that great thread where even the Jedi <laughs> are just reacting to Mieber on his uh, based on his size, right? It's mm. not his skills or experience or aspirations. They're not like he can mm-hmm. be more. They're like he he'll fit in an astromech. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah. You know what I loved about that too, because a lot of these—I don't want to jump to t- tying it to the to the big Star Wars themes, but you and I—you know, whether it be Rise of Skywalker about what you—you know, you, you a smuggler, you a spice trader, you a scavenger, mm. and 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 think of that kind of stuff, and you can still be be more than what you are labeled, and then going to Danny Trejo's scene, that one I ta- I love with the ranky, the rancor scene of of what you are is not necessarily who you are, what people believe mm-hmm. you are. It is not 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 trap you there. I love that stuff. And then the flip side is there's a lot of Especially with Gregor, a lot of identity stuff. I even you know, tie it to uh, almost Aragorn and Lord of, Lord of the Rings. Put aside the ranger and be who you're born to be. There's a little bit of that connecting. But I love you mentioned it. You, you got me excited. One of my favorite moments was them going, you know, Gascon's only here because he could fit into BZ. And it's like, well, that's also, that can be viewed as a weakness, but it's who you are. And it's a strength. It's why you're here. It's why the force put you here if you want to look at it that way. So I love the, the full 360 degrees around these Yeah, scenes. that anything uh, that is a part of who you are can be valuable, even if, you know, other people might laugh at it or, or you know, make you less than. Uh, because I think so much about this is aspirations of like, um, we'll talk more about R2, but R2 is doing well because he has experience and he has a perspective, you know, um, and the other droids uh or the other characters whack 47 and in gascon have room to uh to become that right they don't have those experiences mm-hmm. yet but they're trying to get them you know they're aspiring to it yeah um and all, with r2 the other part of this theme that i that i like that i admit i'm it, it's i'm pulling it uh in with a little bit of head cannon uh, i don't know how much it's entirely supported uh, by the text but i like it <laughs> I think it's significant mm. that it's Mace who is telling us about this plan. Mm. If it was Anakin saying R2 is going to do this, this, and this, you'd be like, well, yeah, because Anakin really believes in R2. But I would argue yeah. that yeah. Mace is on board with his plan because of his experience of being rescued by R2. And even the the That's button right. of that episode when, uh, you know, Boba Fett has attacked him and Mace and Anakin are pinned and, and Anakin's like, don't worry, R2 will save us. And Mace is like, well, we're already dead then. And then uh, there's that beat at the end where R2 rescues him and Mace compliments, Mace is more comp, uh, complimentary to R2-D2 than he ever is to Anakin Skywalker, the chosen one, right? Uh, mm. And that, mm. he, Mace Windu has the line, um, you know, this, 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 and the other thing, but... I have faith in your abilities. And I think a lot of that is him seeing uh, th- these droids, but R2 in specific is being mm. not just a droid, not just something. He he yeah. respects R2 for R2's actual experiences and abilities that he may profited from. Yeah, absolutely. And, and flows down to this idea of how Sometimes we as, as people or droids, when we receive trust, how, how that breeds confidence, yeah. you know, uh, 
uh, I really love that. Maybe some mistakes would be made, made without that confidence that you feel, which also ties into the blood. What I was talking about, the bluster versus confidence. When we meet Eber Gascon, no, not only is he like, Colonel, he's also like, we're going to finish this and get back in time for my promotion ceremony. <laughs> he, he, he wants, he wants that because, and you should want that. Now I'm not just talking about career advancement, but you should, you want that confidence, but sometimes it does take that trust that I, I think it is important. This is a va- very important mission. Yeah. The, the, that opening news crawl and the way this starts, I kind of even forgot that of like, we need this chip or else the supper test got a big attack coming. That's going to really affect things. Cool. You four droids and you, Mieber, go for it. That's a lot of trust. And that I think uh, is a valuable thing. We call. Yeah, this. absolutely. I'd love to dive more into this. Uh, you're saying bluster versus um, experience. Confidence. Con- bluster confidence. versus confidence. Yeah. I had kind of, yeah. uh, thought of this theme and I, I think they they align as the this big idea that action is necessary um and i think this mm-hmm. is where it really it's really about a sunny day in in the void but it does feature throughout the arc and really ties to thx uh, 1138 but i think it all starts from uh Mieber's character is the classic blowhard right um and in specific this yeah. this blowhard who knows the answers when it's all theoretical <laughs> yeah, I think that's the significance yeah. of he's a, a map reader, uh, literally, and he has mm. no practical experience. Uh, I think as a comedy archetype, mm. he's really inspired uh, by Hardy of of Laurel and Hardy. You know, Laurel's kind of the the classic uh, clown, almost a little bit more id-like, who just kind of wants things uh, that he's he's right in front of him is a little bit more innocent. But Hardy is the one who who represents. Um, structure mm. and aspirations to be better and fancy and you know he's always the one who says don't worry you know laurel i have a plan and then he's just as much of a mess as laurel if not more mm. uh that's very meber in, in this whole arc mm. of mm-hmm. i'm gonna yell at everybody about what the problem is <laughs> but i don't have a solution yeah. and half the time i created it myself he's even got the great oliver hardy uh uh you know paraphrase uh, one of oliver hardy's great mm. lines is well there's another fine mess you've got us into and the comedy of it is often it's yeah. hardy who got them into it uh so to have <laughs> Mieber just directly quote that well, well this is a fine mess you mechs got us into uh it's, it's just this great portrait of uh, uh of just of bluster right and that that's the challenge mm-hmm. they set up mm-hmm. with of like can you actually become the thing that you claim to be or are you just always going to be blustered? Yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's a thing that we all can, can struggle with and, and, and that humility thing comes in. But, you know, again, when we meet Gascon, he constantly, and all the way through maybe to the end of the arc, even at times, he constantly feels the need to remind people he is a colonel. He is this, he is those kind of things. And he is all those things, but there's an inherent shame he has for being a map reader which might not be even his fault sometimes it's what other again what other people are putting mm-hmm. on you and 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 that kind of un- undercuts him and therefore uh doesn't allow him to accept who, who he is and the strengths that come with being a tiny map reader and that's why you're here that's why you're here that's a strength you're seeing it as a weakness because of, of shame and it and it all flows into uh the bus one of my things in life coach ken comes in <laughs> um you know and it's this is it's always general advice it's always you can break it down and more specific examples, but I'm one of those act like you've been there before mm. people score a touchdown, hand a ball to the ref. Cause you want to get there again. You want to give the idea that you're going to get there again. doesn't mean don't celebrate. Don't, don't have joy. Don't celebrate your victories. That's just something that's always worked for me. And I, I'm just looking at Gascon and it's just like, there's someone who's never been there and he knows it, but instead of owning it or being able to own it, or maybe given, given, given the, you know, receive the room, uh, I should say to, to uh, be, 
just accepting where you are. He just, it all comes out in that. The Hardy stuff is great. Just uh, uh, Stephen uh, doing this kind of sort of Patton vibe. It works so well. There, I said it, Joseph. Something with Mieber Gascon works tremendously well. Who he, that character is, makes it important. I'm bluster and I'm going to learn. And he grows. And part of this Sunny Day in the Void lesson is this adaption, change, growth, something powerful to us uh, here, Star Wars fans, and, and something close to our hearts in Force Center, just the ability to take who you are, uh, and now you you must move that forward. You must adapt. That's literally what's going on, and I think that's where uh, Gascon finds his true confidence. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and I feel like um, there's, there's a lot of great stuff to talk about with uh, the kind of explicit things he says about, you know, programming mm-hmm. versus intuition and organic and all that. Um, but I, I want to go back to the experience idea that you have, you know, I think you're so right to frame it as mm-hmm. bluster, uh, versus experience. Um, and you don't have, uh, uh, any experience. You can either ask for it or you can bluster. <laughs> uh, yeah. but I think the counterpoint to me, through the arc, but particularly in a sunny day in the void is R2, right? Um, because in the rest of the astromechs in particular, because Mieber almost gives up multiple times, right? When he's faced with a thing, he yells mm-hmm. at somebody else to fix it or else he goes, well, we should retreat. <laughs> um, and yeah. it's also, it's always um, R2 kind of doing what you're talking about of just, just getting the job done. Sometimes R2 does have the experience. Other times he's like, screw it. I don't know. I'll try this weird thing and see if it works, you know? Uh, but it's, it's always proactive. It's always uh, mm-hmm. forward moving choices and i think this is such a huge star wars things star wars often preaches patience uh and finding out when is the right moment to take action but it almost always comes down on the side of like yes take an action (laughs) uh and and that's what's so at stake i think the void in a sunny day in the void and and the void like the space that is a prison in PHX 1138 uh they're a trap of stasis they are a metaphor for not doing anything uh, uh kind of just uh, being a blowhard about what could be done to solve the problem but not taking the risk uh to do anything yourself i, I love the way it comes out in the sunny day and void where meber argues to wait at the ship then they come across that crash ship r2 beeps something and we get the translation this is what happens when you wait at the ship <laughs> which right. just hit me like yeah. a ton of bricks of like, I might need to write that one down. That might be, you know, one of my new favorite bits of star Wars wisdom from R2D2 of that ominous. This is what happens when you wait at the ship. It, it, it slowly erodes. <laughs> Please jump in. Please jump in. Cause I, I really, yeah, no, no, I, no, no, this is a life lesson for me. Something that I, I've alerted. It, it is a negative that I can sometimes uh, face of, uh, you know, you, you, you know, the other, that old, um, statement uh, fortune favors the brave right yeah. that's that's great on a t-shirt and a bumper sticker uh, i've always tried to live up to that whatever that that means but i am i am a let's stay in the ship kind of guy <laughs> kind of person and and you know again sometimes that might if it's there's acid rain out maybe that would have been the wise decision for them but i love what you're saying it because it's very clear it's highlighted when you meet uh what i believe was supposed to be baby jackson dead and that yes ship. we'll, we'll talk definitely about talk about the jackson <laughs> cannon <laughs> Sorry, Kevin Scott. Um, man, it 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 did hit me. And again, 
go to this particular episode, Sunny Day in the Void. What what is it in NTHX uh, eleven thirty eight? Is it like it's like limbo, or white limbo, or something they call it, that whole that white room? It's, that a, all it's in? a white room, and it, uh, I mean, obviously the yeah. the void has the kind of endless white expanse in mm-hmm. this episode, and then the kind of the dull orange. But other than that, it, it it's very similar, and it's yeah. a, it's a prison that the main character has been put in for. Uh, non-conforming mm-hmm. and it's it's very explicit in uh, i would just say a sunny day in the void is very explicit in its connection to thx 1138 there are older men in particular and a lot of them are bloviating about what should mm-hmm. be done mm-hmm. about the situation and our main character just kind of with the uh, spacey <laughs> determined eyes is yeah. just like bleep it and gets up and starts walking Yes. Yeah. And, and, and that and that kind of re- resonated. And even hearing you describing it kind of it resonates even more of just something in my own life. Uh, you know, and you want to be careful. Yes. You want to take, take measured steps forward if that's the way you need to do it at first. But R2, by the way, keeping in, in, in connection with the character that R2 is right. Where does he do with 3PO to New Hope? I'm heading that yep. way. You can stay here. I'm heading that way because this is what I need to do. So it all tracks in that way. And too, R2 gets it, captured, it's, right? Uh, it's not that he's always right. It's that. <laughs> Yes, the the, yeah. the high possibility often of staying in a place, especially when you know that you have to do something to address the problem, <laughs> is just rotting, right? It, it's the threat of stasis. And it's yeah. not that moving is going to be the perfect solution, but it's going to start you on your road to where you need to be, right? R2 gets captured. Yeah, it's not yeah. perfect, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, and this is an episode of adaption, of of growth, of 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 Mieber in his lowest moments, which we talk about. It does come to that, like I I must change my programming. Like this is how I could do that, uh, and I love that. I love what you're saying about the R two stuff, and and it's very clear. Don't move, you die in a lot of different kind of yeah, ways. And and you know this is the section where we get like just straight up. <laughs> maybe I maybe I should end it all. Uh, you know, perspective yeah, from yeah, Niebuhr yeah. of like, you know, this this huge picture of stasis of like, I can't even face mm-hmm. trying to move forward in any way, which, you know, it, it create it, it's this great thing where this idea of stasis is like, it's a literal problem in this void where you really can't see anything. You really have to take a guess about what the right forward movement is. Uh, but it's also just this deep existential dread of suddenly what's the point of anything. If you're not sure what is the right direction? Why mm-hmm. ever move? Why do we even exist? Like it trips very quickly <laughs> from desert navigation mm-hmm. into like the deepest, mm-hmm. most fundamental questions of being aware that you exist. It's truly a USC student art film. Here. <laughs> it really is. It. But uh, but just to, to compliment old Mieber, he does, of course, learn. He he, he adapts in this yeah. episode and and he uh, carries those lessons on. I wrote down the episode in the, the line in the final episode about uh, dealing with a bomb where it's Mieber who literally shouts, we can't just sit here and do nothing. Like, all right, Mieber, you're growing, yes. you're changing. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Uh, other quick thought on, on the stasis is that I think it, it's reinforced is a big important idea because it's exactly what's going on with uh, with Borkus versus Gregor, right? Um, those are some <laughs> scary lines from Borkus when he, he says, go home, sleep, come back tomorrow, do your job. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. a very real world version of, uh, of perhaps being uh, stuck in the ship, uh, stuck in stasis, you know? I, I almost put it into our, our comedy <laughs> section, but you just kind of touched on it. Like Borges's big kind of threat, his big kind of end of his his point of view, his monologue is you'll all be coming back here and begging me Borges for a job. <laughs> like that's that's the, the limits of the way of what he sees. It's not like I'll get you, I'll destroy you, you'll be working for me. Yeah. 
yeah, you, don't leave, Gregor. It's a big galaxy out there, bigger than you know. Stay here where your life is simple, right? I mean, like yeah. anybody who has ever tried to limit you and and you know spread their fear to to you, right? I mean, this is a stasis that benefits Borkus, right? It's not just you know good advice yeah. for Gregor of like. <laughs> you make uh, my life better, but it is also that like, don't mm-hmm. even try. The world is scary. Don't even try. And certainly, you know, don't make me feel bad about my choices by having to watch you try. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I definitely wanted to talk about the sort of stasis action. I think you framed it from a great emotional point of view of uh, bluster versus experience. I think it's R2's experience that gives him the confidence to be like, well, got mm. got to go somewhere. Can't sit here. Um, yeah. So what are uh, some other uh, big picture themes, ideas that you wanted to, to focus on? It touched upon a little bit. I made reference to, to Aragorn and Elrond and the whole big uh, put aside the ranger and, and, and be who you're born to be, be the, be the king of, of uh, Gondor here. I, I love that moment, Lord of the Rings. It's one of my favorite moments in any kind of uh, pop culture content. And I think you get, you get a little bit of that energy here, which is so important to Star Wars. And it's this idea of the, of the courage to be who you were born to be. And that might be a tiny map reader that fits into the head of an astromech droid. That is where your starting point is. That's what you are, but that's not who you are. That big thing that we talked talked about with with um, the stuff in, in, in the book of Boba Fett and I, I you really see it in Gregor and how it's not easy it's never easy and he's faced with who he is and that's scary that's cr- kind of crazy this amnesia he's going through I thought it was really powerful and it, by the way I started my, my first three years of, uh, of uh, having a job I was a dishwasher <laughs> it's a uh, it's it's a good gig if you can get it you know mm-hmm. it's a hard gig um, nothing wrong with it that so yeah so there's no shame in that but when faced with this, uh, you, you could be something bigger. You can be a, a part of this story. It's a big Star Wars theme, and, and uh, it comes up time and time again. And I loved Gregor's journey and his, and his story. And there's honor and courage and sacrifice and a lot of things. So it's not always an easy path. It's not always a victory. Like you said, even R2 make, might make a mistake, but at least he makes a choice. So I thought, I thought it was great. I thought the Gregor stuff was uh, jumped out to me as yeah, well. Yeah, I think that there's some ideas with the whole D-Squad, but with Gregor in particular, that for me really felt like it was making the argument that experience is good and choosing your programming is good. What's being criticized is mm-hmm. rigid loyalty to programming. Maybe not even using programming, maybe yeah. using uh training uh uh, experience natural gifts but but the issue is being rigid to a way of thought instead of choosing to to use your knowledge and experiences and skill set right um i I love that it was drilled into me by my superiors that you were programmed (laughs) which is just that's just a great (laughs) lucas looking at obviously i know lucas himself didn't write these uh but i I think this this is an homage to lucas and ideas uh that are in you know the empire in the repressive society and mm-hmm. thx uh 1138 that you are supposed to be handed ideas uh and, and not uh, question them in any way and if you are rigid about that that is dangerous but if that training if that life experience is valuable it's great yeah. to choose it and i feel like that's what's happening with gregor is like Mm, mm. I'm being the, the rigid force is telling me to be something I'm not is telling me to be a dishwasher because uh, it benefits somebody else. And it's a reflection of their fear of engaging with the galaxy. Uh, but I want to be a clone commando. I want to choose my training, you know, so I don't feel like it's mm-hmm. it's can easy sometimes to think that Star Wars is saying 
any kind of structure or programming or training yep. is bad. And I don't think that is what it's saying. I think it's saying blind loyalty to that stuff is bad. Uh, you know? I, yeah, I would, I would fight that. All the time, almost to the point where I get maybe too aggressive in comments. I apologize sometimes <laughs> if I'm not there on YouTube on some of our first center videos. There's, there's this idea that I think you could put it down over the Jedi Order like tracing right. paper, what you're talking about, this theme. This is really it. And I love the, the Gregor stuff. Programming and training. Programming's not necessarily bad. Training's not necessarily bad. Instinct drives you forward. I, I think I, I'm sure, you know, when I coach Ken and public safety director Ken coming up, but I, I, have, I have done, I have authored 200 page earthquake manuals on what to do in an earthquake and a large scale a structure with 20,000 people. And every time I've trained people on it, I've said, here's this, learn this, by the way, it's not going to matter when it happens. The only thing that's going to get you through is your instincts on how to survive. Just, you got to have this training to draw back on, mm. but you're not going to pull out a book and per turn to page 85 and go, what do we do when the parking structure collapsed? You're not going to do that, but both are, you know, both are both good. Are valuable, both are valuable. Yeah. Both are valuable. And I think these episodes touch upon that. And then again, goes to the Jedi Order stuff. Yoda's not saying this new breed of Jedi, they're young and arrogant. We should shut it all down. Uh, he's just saying we're not serving the purpose. We're out there. We're, we're, we're being too rigid. And, and the, the bigger things, Lucas and the director's union. Lucas, I'll say it again. Say it till I die. Lucas did, does not think unions should go away. He just thinks the director guild, and the writer's guild at the time, particularly 1980, were not doing what they were designed yeah, to do. Yeah, they weren't helping people. They, they were, were punishing rigid. somebody for being different. Yeah. So it's here it is, this theme, and uh, it's all wrapped up in this uh, bearded clone <laughs> and a frog guy. And drugs. Yeah. And again, to give props to Mieber, uh, you know, we see him grow. Right. He literally says the line. Uh, not only does he have the epiphany and, and use the void riders in his own gut and, and, and try to see things from a different perspective in Sunny Day in the Void. Uh, but by the end of uh, the arc, when they're trying to stop the bomb in uh, R2 is needing help. You know, he's the one who shouts, well, we're changing the plan, you know, so we we do mm -hmm, get to see Mieber mm -hmm. learn these lessons and grow. Yeah, absolutely. All of them. Final thing for me is um, it, it's the, the idea of sacrifices all through these episodes, too. I think it's kind of a, a big Star Wars idea that sometimes for the group to accomplish yeah. their goal, the individual has to make a, a sacrifice of some kind. There's uh, definitely uh, some ideas in here about just like what is what is a soldier? Um, Gregor appears to make that choice. Um to sacrifice himself obviously we know he, he goes on uh bz makes mm -hmm. a sacrifice uh, r2's a parent sacrifice so there's a lot of sacrifices and a lot of talk about sacrificing yeah yeah which is uh, sometimes scary sad tragic real world stuff as well but it also to me speaks uh, of, of knowing you're part of a bigger picture it's a big star wars yeah well. i want to ask you about your intuition your gut when it comes to gregor um I, I feel like uh, there's nothing concrete in the text, but my gut is telling me that, that Gregor's amnesia is partially because he feels bad about a choice he made at the Battle of Sarish, or at the very least just to have, mm. has like survivor's guilt. Um, it, it feels like he is correcting something, making the choice that he wishes he mm -hmm. had made before or been able to make before uh, when he is helping them escape. How do you feel about that? I absolutely feel you're right. He's not like, great, let me grab my helmet. It's about time to shoot things, right? <laughs> I don't think that's all of it. I'm sure there's part of him that loves adrenaline and loves, that's why he's here type of thing. Though, again, clone, born and bred for this, which is part of the clone's identity struggle. But um, I do think you're right. I'd love to know a little bit more, a little more extended Gregor story. Uh, it's not to erase the 
effects of amnesia. And I don't think this episode is completely diving into PTSD mm-hmm. issues or trauma and processing, but there's some stuff there. And, and, and there's the, the reason to me that it was so easily hidden. And plus you have people around you like Borkus <laughs> messing it up. And I, I think there's some bigger statements there too, but yeah, I agree with it. Even his final thing, it, it is, He's not like, uh, oh, man, what a great day to, day to die and shoot some droids. Love the smell of napalm in the morning. That That isn't him. There's an energy to him because I think he does feel he is uh, reconnected to who he was and a chance to correct a mistake that he has not yet explained to us. I, I can follow you on yeah, that. Yeah, there's just, if nothing, there's I just do like how how clearly traumatized he is and how heavy it is. And it is it is uh, a effort to get back to that life and, and, yeah. to, and to do what he feels is right. He has to push past something. Yeah. I think even for the Clone Wars, in fact, a lot of times the Clone Wars series is uh, heralded by uh, military veterans, which to be clear, I'm not. Uh, so that's not my uh, story to say, I guess, but Filoni has talked about that. A lot of them kind of connecting to that makes some sense that even in an episode like, like this, um, they wouldn't just, uh, it's not a, I got bonked on the head. Can't remember. No, nothing. <laughs> There's something going on. Yes. There. Even in an episode with a guy named Mr. Borkus, there is great depth. Uh, we talked a lot about these big ideas. Uh, how do you feel like they reflect a larger story morality perspective of Star Wars? Any other thoughts there? I love, by the way, looking at this like a big game board or like a sports <laughs> book in Vegas where you just got a big wall of giant Star Wars themes and you get to find the the ones that connect. And, and I went with um, – we talked a little bit about find out who you are and, and, and so then – you can take your place in the story and, and, and your story as well. Ray, Luke, all these kind of heroes. It's kind of the mythic, uh, mythic hero path we all like. But I, I want to go with um, th- this idea of we all have value and, and the stakes are high. So find your value, connect with your value, make some decisions, make some action. Uh, but the stakes are high. They need this chip. This actual plot point that starts this entire thing, they need the chip. It's key to the war. And then saving everyone in a uh, uh, at, at the at the conference <laughs> – which I love. There's refreshments and name tags at this security conference going on. Um, it's all important. So the stakes are high in all of our lives uh, and, and find your value and find your place. Yeah. I mean, I really agree with that one. I think that's to me kind of the biggest of big picture ideas within this and in kind of where I stopped the first time I watched it is just everyone has value, right? I mean, it's such a classic yeah. uh, uh, Star Wars idea between the Ewoks, the Gungans, a Dio, uh, in this arc, droids, Mieber, uh, Gascon, uh, Mieber, Gascon, mm-hmm. Gregor, like it, it is, it's really powerful and it, it, it shouldn't, I think sometimes it's easy to write off because it can sound like kind of simple, right? Like, yep, everybody has value. Yeah. I got it. I know I've been to kindergarten. I watched Mr. Rogers, <laughs> uh, but arcs yeah. like this yeah. kind of dive into, uh, how deeply true that is in all of the obstacles, both external and internal to finding value in absolutely everyone for who they are and for who they want to be for both those things. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Who they want. To yeah. Be. Uh, final thing for me is just a, yet another uh, a great uh, reflection of uh, fear or hope. And in particular, um, Hey, the unknown is in front of all of us. None of us know for sure what is going to happen next. And how do we look at what is about to happen? Uh, do we choose fear mm. Or do we choose hope, right? And there's so many characters who are in danger of choosing fear. And I think, you know, R2's wild, like, screw it. We got to go do some way. Let's go this way. You know, that's a form of hope. Uh, and I think the Mr. Mm. Borkus, the mm. Mieber at his darkest moment, that's fear of, uh, of, mm. of what's right in front of you. And R2's all hope. 
I love that. I love that. I love R2 getting that uh, title there. Uh, yeah, absolutely right. Hope being so key to Star Wars, this we know. Um, and like, and, and that's why I make the joke about the, the game board or, or the, the sports book. It's like a lot of these themes keep showing up again for a reason. <laughs> and I really believe Star Wars can't move off this stuff and, and, and sh- it should absolutely add, you should add more themes as they come along and they're needed. But it real again, boils down to that instinct thing. All those 200 pages of earthquake training manuals means nothing until the, mo- in the moment it's what's there. And I love when Star Wars gets so simple in this area. And yeah, you're right. You got two examples you just gave there of, uh, of leaders or authority positions. Uh, do you sell doom or, or do you inspire mm-hmm. hope? Uh, and, and that does not mean be unrealistic with the situation. Um, that term toxic positivity, you and I uh, hear yep. often is misused, I think, in, in the Star Wars discussions. Um, and, 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 Gascon is is reeling in doom, and I can do that too. I'm kind of can be gloomy, and it's something I'm always working on. Like even now, people ask me how you doing. I always start. I try to start now with, "Hey, the mood is good. Other things are going on, but my mood is good, and I'm going to work towards that. I'm selling myself some hope." Yeah, basically. no, we got to. I we have to. I have to. I did. Look, hey, I've had some Mieber moments this morning, but like, nope. Be <laughs> uh, end of the yes. arc, Mieber. Not middle of the arc, uh, Mieber is is my goal, and I do uh, do love that R two gets celebrated absolutely as a hero. Uh, it occurred to me when you reminded me that it's Tarkin uh, on that station, it's Anakin, it's Obi Wan. R two basically saved the original trilogy <laughs> in this he episode. Did. He absolutely did. Proven uh, our pal Mark Ellis's idea that R2 is the hero of it all. He really is. And on that note, celebrating R2, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back uh, to discuss uh, all of the fun moments, the canon moments. There's a lot in this uh, arc left to discuss back in a moment. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And we are back to continue our discussion of the D-Squad arc. George Lucas has stated favorite arc in the Clone Wars animated series. Let's talk action, Ken. Uh, there is actually a decent amount of action in these four episodes that's got some horror, some droids, some comedy, but definitely <laughs> action. So where did you go for favorite action moments? I see. try to go, I guess it's some sort of order here. Uh, oh, here's a tiny one. I'll start, I'll start on the dark side. I don't want, I don't want to sell doom, Joseph. I want to find hope. <laughs> But that punch that Wack took from uh, Ot Zero or Ot uh, O, I guess is the, the, the droid commander, yeah. the strategy droid. He took a punch that was <laughs> one of the more brutal punches in Star Wars. <laughs> and it just falls to the ground. It was a big ouch moment. But I kind of yeah, like there's there's some big ouch moments. I really, I also forgot having these live in my memory as the comedy episodes. Uh, that the action scenes are actually quite good even when there's comedy in them the the mm-hmm. uh that no gravity fight at the end of the first episode mm. right and uh unc4 that using that massive laser and just going bonkers oh. with it and then i forgot how yeah. that great contrast uh, there's a lot in in these episodes for me that remind me of uh, like abbott and costello meet frankenstein of the direct mashup of like mm. these are idiots and they're facing monsters they don't quite even understand how sharp the contrast is between like oh are you gonna do a bit with your bowler hat well this guy's here to eat your flesh like that sharp (laughs) contrast like and i felt that when like that terrifying tactical droid is just squeezing the life out of (laughs) meber yes oh that whole sequence the the anti-gravity sequence it's uh, not unlike uh, the fizzy lifting drink sequence in Willy Wonka with Grandpa and (laughs) Charlie uh I loved it and yeah that that uh, moment with C4 is great because he he blasts, uh, he blasts the, the, a lot of the droids, and there's one. It's pretty brutal. One of the battle droids is like, bah, alive, dead, and just floating there. <laughs> yeah, it, it's brutal. Uh, what are some other action moments for you? Uh, going to the second episode of this arc, the uh, what I'm calling the droid repair drama, the tension of the, the astromechs going out onto the uh, uh, ship there to try to repair, really brought back the, some of my trauma with episode one when we first meet R2, where a lot of those astromechs are just shot out into space on top of the, uh, the Naboo cruiser. We're losing there, droids just, uh, fast. We're losing droids. Thank you. We are. Uh, I love that sequence. A lot of built-in tension because that was one of the moments. You know, then you got uh, KT goes uh, goes into space, and everyone's holding on for dear life, having not 
watched these episodes in about a decade. Um, couldn't remember some of those details. And so I kind of remembered one of the droids or two doesn't get out of this arc. Yeah, I kind of had that in the back of my brain. So I was watching this as if it was brand new. I thought maybe I was like, you can't do cutie. Katie can't go. There's no way that's good. So I had a lot of, a lot of, a uh, lot of tension uh, coursing through my veins during that. Yeah, scene. no, I, I love that in particular. I love the looks of the comets, right? Uh, it, it looked very Star yes. Wars, but it's very different. Just that kind of that trailing ice and all that, that dramatic angle. It almost it, it looked directly out of uh, Flash Gordon. It almost looked like a, a, a poster uh-huh. for a Flash Gordon adventure with like, you know, uh, death comes with ice. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad you pointed that out. Yeah. On my uh, second view and through it, 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 I wanted to note it looked like a an old sci-fi poster and there's you know very little animation in it. There's just a little bit of the, the trails are maybe flickering, right? It's just all it is. And it's just, uh, it's almost classic 2D art to yeah. me, uh, from another era. Yeah. No, I, I, it's, it's really, really great. I absolutely love, um, Love that comment. I love the astromech chord chain, right? Because like the, that's just a great image of everybody working together kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also really loved uh, in the third episode, Gregor's big fight. Um, because we've uh, obviously we've seen a lot of clones blasting, but that that he's kind of trained to be the commando, you know, <laughs> yeah. to, to, you know, go it if not solo, but with just a, a few people. All I love strategic explosions. I always will. It's yeah. they always remind me of playing video games, particularly James Bond game. Where it's like, is there a barrel? Okay, I'll shoot I'll shoot that. Yep. And, and then I'll get a little reward and I'll say Bond moment. You use the environment. Um, <laughs> so that and then the fact that towards the end he does some straight up like action rolls mm-hmm. of like right on the fence yes. of whether it was necessary, but it looks cool. Like the classic action roll. Yeah. Everything about Gregor's last stand, and you can put quotation marks around last stand, it's epic, including just some wonderful music by Kevin Kiner and company there. Gregor, there's many shots, like, I mean, like camera shots that read like a clone commander video game. Oh, right. Just when you, when you're like kind of tracking with your blaster, you're trying to get the shot you need, you're trying to hit the thing. And yeah, you're pressing R1 to roll. I, like, you know, any Red Dead Redemption mission where I can shoot a box of dynamite and kill people around it, yes i'm taking that shot so i'm right there with you i uh, question for you when you're doing that in video games do you yell out loud out loud bond moment using environment do you yell that out loud because i oh uh, yes i do I, I i do it now in movies when i'm looking for it it's like when does it when does he do like i want i want bond moments in bond movies and i want them and i love them in there in an action scene when it's not just uh somebody punched or was shooting better, but they did something clever. They used the environment. You know, for me, the real successful moments of John Wick, it's like that. Of like, what do I have next to me? What can I use? Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. Love so it. I show Bond moment a lot. <laughs> it's in a lot of context. Uh, what are some other action moments for you? Uh, go to episode 513, uh, the fourth episode of the arc there. Uh, R2. Was there, oh, there, R2 establishes a perimeter with his oil and fire trick. It's like blood and f- uh, fire and blood from Game of Thrones. Oil and fire. I love that R2 has that in his arsenal, and I, I love that. Piece oh, here. yeah. No, that that is great. Um, I really, really loved that buzz droid attack. It was extremely, mm. it, the, the waves of buzz droids, right? I even like the droid commander setting it up where he's got one in his hand like a basketball and he's kind of talking to it like my precious. You're going to go do what I these other battle droids can't do. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, it's actually, uh, you know, very effective. They're, those are creepy, right? 
Oh, I, the bus droids have always been. I thought even even back in the day when we talk about back in the day, 2005, I thought that were, were really cool. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was great. And you know, I, I feel for BZ in that shot where where oh. all those buzz droids and BZ are just kind of spiraling through hyperspace. Uh, is oh. a very effective and moving shot. I, uh, this is kind of the same effect, but the opposite of Hodor's hold the door moment in Game of Thrones season. Uh, was that seven? Uh, this is the BZ sacrifices. Open the door and uh, look what happens. It's 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 very effective. It's great. And uh, yeah, it, it kind of got me a little choked. Yeah. BZ floating in space. Absolutely. A little bit earlier in that episode, I do like uh, when they realize that the uh, the actual bridge is uh, full of battle droids and they're starting to climb out of the data pit and uh, Ardu just knocks them back in the data pit. <laughs> like, uh, it's great to see somebody actually fall in one of those holes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's about it for me. Any other action moments for you? The last one I want to highlight, um, oh, there's two more, sorry. Um, scroll down, Ken, scroll down. Uh, Gascon and uh, C4 distract the droids at one point. Mm-hmm. There's that in sequence that I think you're talking about, but there's, there's a great, it's almost like an evil dead Sam Raimi angle, like point of view of, of Gascon kind of holding on to that antenna as they just, uh, as they kind of fly yes. around. I thought that was real fun. Good action. Funny moment. And then I got to show the Rhydonium explosion. Ooh, yeah. It's up there with some of the best in Star it's Wars. It's beautiful. The hold old maneuver. Yeah. Death stars, seismic charges, whatever. It's, 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 yeah. To quote, quote Krennic. Oh, yeah. I mean, it sh- it definitely shares uh, some kind of the visual style of those other explosions. But mm-hmm. like that, it, the establishing that it has this kind of beautiful rainbow <laughs> within the horror. It's that's pretty great. It's, it's so stupid. You've been to like fire pit gatherings at my house. Sometimes I have those little magic packets you put in the fire and it makes the fire like multiple colors. I was like, hey, they put some stuff in the fire pit for these. <laughs> That's a uh, rhydonium in your fire pit. That is very good to know. Yeah. Uh, I guess I did want to shout out. This isn't really an action moment. It's an after action moment. Uh, but that truly brutal shot of quite severely injured R2. Like, I forgot that was coming because I was like, um, oh, yeah, he's going to have some some dings. Like, no, <laughs> he is messed up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, love that. Uh, so love we go that. from horribly injured R2 to moments of comedy, whimsy, weirdness. Did you write down a lot? In all this, we haven't really talked about this. Did you find uh-huh. these arcs funny? I actually really did. And this is where I probably owe the biggest apology to Steven Staten and the writers of Mieber Gas Gun. He's really funny. <laughs> and he's drawn from a lot of influences, like you said, uh, Hardy, uh, Patton, whatever you want to throw in there. They're all there. I, I wrote a lot of moments. I thought it was, I think it's great stuff now that I'm slowing down and taking it yeah. in. Yeah, for me, there was just a ton of moments that really landed. And I think for me, the ones that landed, there's a lot of just like great bluster and a lot of great, classic comedy in, in some of those moments really did make me laugh. But in general, the moments that make me laugh are the ones where they, the kind of comedy is contrasted with something a little bit more serious. Like the, the first thing mm-hmm. I wrote down that actually did make me laugh out loud uh, is, you know, whack 47 shows up to the meeting late and has a bunch of comedy and uh, <laughs> that big comedy voice whack 47. goes, Did I miss anything? <laughs> it's just that shot of Mace going <laughs> fall in line soldier. <laughs> well, he's uh, around that same time uh, uh, when when Mace is talking about someone might not come back. Wax like, ah, are, are you looking at me? I, I thought it's it's great. Like, I don't know, almost like uh, he's a student in class acting up, but he doesn't. Yeah, know. it's just that contrast between do ba do ba do and Mace being like, I'm dead serious. <laughs> I'm talking about death. Yeah, so uh, that yeah. that started it yeah. off for me. Where did you go from there? Well, um, 
Gascon, yeah, I, I, I guess I could just start writing and uh, reading Gascon quotes, but I love it. It just when he says to Wack at one point, it's me, you moron. <laughs> love kind of just the way he speaks. Uh, there's a great moment um, early on, too, uh, when the mission started where, where Gascon says, everyone just stay calm. And R2, without missing a beat, turns on a battle droid and shocks him. <laughs> R2 does just plunge forward no matter what. Yeah. You don't care. Yeah. Care. Yeah. Um, I really liked the weird um, mad scientist trope scene uh, of them all getting oh, yeah. their enhancements uh, from the, the kind of Parwan mad scientist, Dr. Uh, Gobachar. Uh, Gubachar. Um, but there's that one moment that I think I might have probably in, in older days been like, yeah, that's a little much. But now I really liked it is he's talking like that man scientist. And that one moment where he looks <laughs> directly at the camera is like the magnetic force is extremely powerful. <laughs> like he's almost just like uh, having some weird fantasy <laughs> yeah. about uh, that powerful yeah. magnet. Well, what he takes, but he's like, tells BZ, I'm going to do it myself. Like, what's going on with you, man? <laughs> just a down. total, like, uh, there's some Peter Laurie in the voice, a total, just original, yeah. you know, Dr. Frankenstein from the Frankenstein movies. Mm-hmm. If it's alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I really like that. Um, uh, I didn't write down who, who does the setup line, but there's a moment of whack 47 terror. Uh, where somebody asks, is it separatist controlled? And WAC 47 says, who cares? Ben Diskin is the one who does WAC, right? I I think, yeah, he's great. I love that. Um, I have, there's one moment earlier for me uh, where the battle droid, they open up the door and it's the astromechs just staring there. And the one battle droid says, no sign of life, just these droids. It's kind of like a, I know you are, but what am I type of reverse (laughs) moment? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, that's a great one. Oh, I, there is earlier in that first episode, too, there is the moment where um, a bunch, where a couple of the droids are being uh, sort of um, interrogated or cornered by the mm-hmm. battle droids. And then there's that really flat vaudevillian type scene of the Astromex rolling <laughs> along in the yep. in the background. Yes, that's right. That's right. Love that. I love R2 putting his arms up. Oh, yeah, that, that was that's a great one, too. Um, yeah. Uh, Mieber really started to to be on fire for me in the um in the second episode, so I had to I had to rein myself mm-hmm. in. Uh, but the yeah. one that I really loved, and I'm so curious if it's on your list, is that I think I ruptured my gizzard. Uh, it's number one on my list. I'll tell you why. So my dad, um, being of Ukrainian Circassian heritage and 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 uh, raised with uh, delicacies that was never for my stomach, borscht and soup like that, all kind of stuff. He would eat the gizzards uh, when we'd get a chicken. We he, we he ate all the parts. Oh wow! Right? And as a kid, that just did not sit well with me. And he would, and so he would make a joy if if we were messing around. I'm like eight, nine years old, and you know, you you play fighting or whatever, and I'd punch him. He'd go, my dad would go, oh my gizzard. <laughs> and so to hear, I totally forgot Gascon <laughs> did that. Oh, I ruptured my gizzard. Just it brought me laughter from my childhood. That is great. That is great. Oh, uh, uh, I I didn't know you had a personal history with gizzard. <laughs> I really it, do. It, it, you know, props to Stephen Stanton. It's a funny line, but it's also just the delivery and the weird turn of phrase of of gizzard. Oh, I think eruption mm-hmm. my gizzard. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what are some more for you? Um, I love. There's a um, during Gascon going on and on and and even contemplating that uh, his own death or maybe he should be dead. I you know again very serious mm-hmm. stuff. 
very big stuff. Played a little bit for laughs, but it's it's the heart of the episode, maybe in some ways. And Wack goes, yeah, I should have gone with the droids. <laughs> uh, Wack 47 and Mieber, this is like, they obviously come together a little bit in a sunny day in the void, but they're a great comedy mm-hmm. duo. Uh, this is a little bit of a darker joke, but I really liked it of Mieber going, all I ask is that you just let me die with dignity. <laughs> and Wack 47 says, is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's, a, it's an older joke structure but it checks out for me it was, <laughs> it was great and kind of dark really um yeah, yeah. and the, uh, yeah. feel free to jump around to wherever wherever you want but head, heading sure, into sure. the the third episode for me i like the really sharp moment of uh meber pomposity being wrong when on the streets of the city in abafar and he says these people aren't dangerous and then you immediately see that little alina with a big knife <laughs> I wrote down, this is my exact words, the street robbery is hilarious. <laughs> it really is, right? It, it's like a weird, almost like play or an improv scene or something. Like, is it, he's, Gazgun says that great line, the knife comes out, but it, he just puts the knife out and the, the, the taller character just, here's my chicken wing. <laughs> here's my turkey leg that he takes. And then uh, the Elena kind of checks it out like, yeah, okay, thanks. And walks away. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, uh, Mr. Uh, Borkus, yeah. of course, like the name is my number one uh, bit of comedy. And, yeah. and uh, like uh, certainly this arc, maybe a lot of Star Wars. Um, but I like the the super big delivery when he says beat it. And he goes, beat it. <laughs> a highlight for me. Uh, I got a couple more. How about you? Yeah. Well, in that uh, episode there, uh, this is now, I think I have to list this as my all-time favorite Star Wars quote because it's so pertinent to my life, Joseph. And it's from Mieber Gascon when he says, well, I'll be a diner, a place of eating. I'm saved. <laughs> I thought you'd like that one. That is That one was really great. And then the immediate cruelty of he's not even allowed to be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love that. A That's a great one. Um Going into the the final episode, I liked uh, that beat where the wed treadwell droid isn't over to get get over the lip of the doorway and he's just banging against it. He just kind of folds his arms like, ah, damn it. It's just a great contrast because there's so much empathy going on and the droids saving each other mm-hmm. and then like nobody really seems to notice that wed treadwell can't navigate the ship. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, final one for me Absolutely. is a uh, hey, got it. Had to sneak in an Obi Wan line. I, I really liked uh, when he says, "Cheer up, Anakin. Mm. This is your chance to voice all your complaints about military protocol." <laughs> I like too, and he's like, "And you said the conference was going to be boring." <laughs> yep, some great Obi Wan trying to find uh, the snarky, wry humor in things. Uh, any other uh, comedy moments for you? Uh, probably a lot to list. Uh, list, but I like Gascon's. I don't eat Bantha. Be mm-hmm. very clear about that. Uh, the whole tale of droids uh, carrying heavy items, lift with your legs. Oh. It wasn't programmed for this. Uh, great stuff. Great physical comedy. Lift with your legs is well, really good. Well, as, as well as tying into the theme, right? It wasn't programmed for this. Uh, a lot of that kind of stuff. A whack turning a battle droid into a, ventri- a ventriloquist dummy was hilarious to me, too. Yes. Uh, and then the final one. Yeah. No, I just, I just agreeing. The, the, yeah, the final one. A gonk droid riding a mouse droid. Finally. <laughs> finally we get to see this in Star Wars. We've been waiting for years for that uh that cameo, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh excellent. Let's get into then some of the canon and lore connections to other stories. There's a surprising amount in this episode. Obviously, mm. 
um, or this arc, the biggest one, of course, is, is Gregor. Uh, we kind of, we don't want to, if people haven't watched things, we want to spoil things, but uh, Gregor returns in Bad Batch, and uh, really significantly, he is one of the clones who is living with Rex in Rebels and goes on to mm. fight the Empire. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about that? How do you feel like the character tracks from this introduction? I really enjoyed it. And, and again, going back to that moment on one of our earlier episodes of Force Center a long time ago where I just had to, I just didn't connect it and didn't pay attention to that. And I wish I did. I wish I did. Um, it just means a lot. And, and to recover, to be part of the story, so willing to fight, so willing to sacrifice and see where it goes. Uh, it just, again, adds to the lore of these clones uh, uh, born from the same tube, but they are all individuals. And I love Gregor in a lot of ways now. Yeah, it's not unique among clones, but I really like that he starts from this perspective of, uh, I really need to choose this. Yeah, I was born for it and I was trained for it, but I have to choose it. Uh, Almost the way this discussion with Grogu has been like, and in other Jedi places, like you have to choose the Force. You have to choose to be a Jedi. Uh, That's where Gregor's story comes from, is he chooses to go back to this life. And uh, without spoilers, all his other adventures is him really choosing who he wants to be and what he wants to contribute to. Mm, love it. So it tracks really well. Uh, also with Gregor, obviously we get the the fun, all clones have IDs in their wrists. Uh, do you think Boba Fett yeah. does? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. It makes some I, sense. Yeah. Right? Unless, unless, Jan- yeah, unless Django was like, no, 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 minus that. We don't need that. But yeah, like we that. don't need that. We, we got the chain coat in the armor. We don't need him. <laughs> yeah. 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 That'd be a fascinating conversation. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, you know, the, the clone commando, I, I know they have a long and complex history. Mm-hmm. I did not do the deep dive on the entire yeah. history of clone commando. I just, I know there's a, Big fan groups. I'm, I loved playing them in Battlefront 2. I love seeing uh, this clone commando on screen. Do you have any other clone commando thoughts? I, I like seeing them. I don't I don't have a different relationship with them, too. I didn't play a lot of those games and everything. I love the design. I love even kind of the, the illuminated uh, visor there. Uh, there's a mention of the Battle of Sharish, which is, um, again, didn't do the deep dive. I think more of a Legends battle connection and, and Filoni kind of connecting a lot of things to that kind of stuff. I know people appreciate so I liked a lot, a lot of that. And yeah, it just looks good. I love the design of his helmet. Um, you got the, it's actually like stitches. I was looking up a little bit. It's, it's, it's uh, in honor of a, of a former NHL goalie, mm. Floney, big hockey, hockey fan. And that's what the goal, he'd paint his uh, face mask to be like, these are the stitches I would get if I wasn't wearing the mask. Oh, um, so I like that design. That's very cool. It, it's great storytelling, yeah. right? It speaks to like, Ooh, yeah. this guy's, uh, whatever those are marking, he's experienced a lot of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really great stuff. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's inside Star Wars, and there's a lot of stuff outside of Star Wars. I kind of refreshed myself. I knew that uh, the droid QT KT uh, was in mm-hmm. celebration of a real person. I did a little bit of a, a deeper dive on that. That there was a droid uh, in droid builder circles uh, that was built called R2 KT, which is basically R2 uh, with uh, pink instead of blue. Uh, that was there to uh, celebrate the daughter of the founder of the 501st uh, Legion, Katie, uh, who had brain cancer, and that they wanted to include R2KT, but they wanted to make sure there wasn't confusion. So they uh, shifted the droid to QTKT, but still intended it as an homage to that that real person. Yeah, love that. And that droid... um actual droid they built probably go around hospitals to children's hospitals so great, great legacy in that uh in that pink astromech no matter what version yeah yeah absolutely um 
And then I, I just uh, wanted to refresh myself because we were talking about the great job that Ben Diskin does as uh, as WAC 47 and reminded that Ben's got a lot of fun roles, including uh, Morley the Snake and in Clone Wars and Bad mm. Batch a- AZ3. Right, uh, right, among many others, but highlighting those. Uh, so getting back into some of the you know in in galaxy canon, uh, I was fascinated, Ken, that comets seemed to maybe kind of enter hyperspace and it turned red. Was this a Nile attack? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. This is an emergence, great emergence. Yeah. But the, I mean, the, it yeah. does connect to the High Republic, right? Of like obviously yeah. the in the story oh. of the High Republic, it's a a purposeful attack not a natural one but you know hyperspace yeah. goes weird colors when it's when it's affected you got to be careful you can program yourself right into the you know center of a planet there han han gave us all the warnings early <laughs> exactly exactly um uh the straightforward line of r2 is designed for navigation that all makes sense sure it's not the only place mm-hmm. but it really uh stood out to me since you know his counterpart c3po constantly likes to introduce himself and tell people <laughs> what he is yeah. designed for but r2 is designed for navigation uh, how did you feel about hearing that it's always a good reminder of the humble beginnings of this astromech droid that uh, knows what he's doing yeah I love I mean, that. It, for me it, it kind of fit the themes of like yeah that's one of the things mm. i can do <laughs> look at all the yeah. other things i can do not stopping there and yeah. how did you feel about r2 using holograms for emotional communication uh much like he does with luke in the last jedi Look, this is what he does. He 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 drop drops some oil and lights it on fire. He's a little sassy. He runs off on instinct, and uh, he knows how to manipulate a little bit. R two is very multifaceted. Yeah, it just leaves me wondering if if R two is real. Like, what hologram does he have to manipulate me? <laughs> uh, then, of course, we go to that crashed, uh, rotted ship uh, on Abafar in the void, and the skeleton uh, that is indeed a skeleton of Jackson. Uh, this is back in the days when Jackson was kind of one of those joke conversations that you would have mm. uh, with people who either did a deep dive on the old Marvel comics or people who are old enough to have read them. Uh, I'm you, you and I have talked about this, Ken, and we've, I think we've had the exact same conversations with people of like, yeah, some of that stuff in the comics is wild. Hey, you remember the bunny? Yeah, yeah Jackson, right? Yep. Uh, so especially yep. when this was made, I think it was, now we've, we've, we've gone through this, uh, this Jackson renaissance, uh, Kevin Scott really bringing the character into canon, into fold, sharing his love. Yeah. Uh, but this is that era, this is around the same time that one of the like official comic-con exclusive action figures was a carbon frozen jar jar you know and there's mm-hmm. a strain of sort of official star wars kind of poking aggressive fun at characters or moments that weren't liked you know I, and, and i like that in a way i, I would defend jar jar I'll, I'll even maybe thanks to kevin scott uh, i guess thanks i i have a newfound appreciation for jackson even but yeah i i kind of like this era too i wish not that we could go back to it but i'm okay with it right you know um it was it's kind of fun a wink and a nod to the just absolute wildness that is star wars especially the early yeah days. absolutely so I, I like seeing the the jackson skeleton and just knowing that it was kind of created with that like yeah this is really created by people who love star wars and want to you know look at it in lots of different ways including kind of poking fun yeah. at at the time just an old comic book character that people kind of made jokes about and kind of often didn't like so <laughs> what if it was yeah. just his corpse 
Yeah, no, and I, you know, little less about the the jar jar and carbon freeze, but this it, it, it is it does come from a place of love. Yeah. It really does, and I think sometimes it's good to remember that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I feel like the carbon frozen jar jar does too. It's almost to me, it is almost like that humility uh, lesson of like, okay, you know, mm. uh, we'll we'll kind of poke fun at like how overblown the response to jar jar was, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, I know that's a complex one, uh, so uh, understand if uh, people have different takes on Carbon Frozen Jar Jar there. Uh, speaking of toys, we get the Spittin' Aqualish. <laughs> uh, right. It pops up again in the final season of Clone Wars, but I love that uh, this Aqualish is dressed as the original Ponda Baba action figure when we only knew him as Walrus Man, and he had a bright <laughs> onesie. Yeah, yeah, with a big spit, big... <laughs> Loogie being hooked. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I also wrote down Mieber's line. There's no way in Malachor that I'm going to lead this pitiful squad on an assault of that landing zone. Right. So Absolutely. obviously Malachor goes on to uh, be very well known in uh, canon, in, in the current modern canon, uh, because of how it's featured in Rebels, but it was obviously well established in Legends. How do you feel uh, about the story in, in inside the galaxy that Mieber, a map reader, would know and use Malachor as a replacement for the way we would say hell. Oh, Me- Mieber is the Star Wars explained of the day. He's the one who's got all the information. He knows the timelines. <laughs> he knows the planets, mid-rim, core-rim, outer. He's got all the answers, and I love that. It, it's one of those little – it's a nice little detail. At the time, it was a callback to uh, a different era, which we at then we wouldn't – so refer to his legends more EU yeah. at that time, right? But we're getting getting close to that 2014 April cutoff date. Uh, so yeah, I really I really enjoyed that kind of detail. And you can again, you forget that kind of layering when you're when you're um, you know years removed from watching these. Episodes. Yeah, and it's it's fun to see something that at the time was yeah referring to EU and celebrating that. Uh, and now is uh, looks like it is predicting that Malachor is going to show up in Rebels, <laughs> right? Uh, Totally. The Rhydonium mining, of course, uh, Rhydonium pops up in Rebels. It is a uh, big in the the Morak episode of uh, of the Mandalorian. Um, and we talked about the explosions having some similarity to other ones. Any other Rhydonium thoughts? Uh, just the most beautiful explosions explosions in the galaxy. <laughs> I look at them a different way. No, love those. Love the connection. absolutely great. Karita uh, uh, is where mm-hmm. the. Uh, the conference is taking place, which, of course, is mentioned in Solo. That's uh, where he, the Naval Academy that Han is being sent to. It also appears in the Tarkin book. Any Karita thoughts? It, it, yeah, it shows up a lot. I love that kind of connection. And, and so many modern Star Wars stories, but even more specifically, modern Star Wars authors pull from a lot of this kind of stuff. So I love when it, you get these kind of connections later. Yeah, on. yeah, absolutely great. It's just a fun part uh, uh, for me of being a fan of, of having it, uh, all these moments connect in all these different stories. Any other canon moments that you wanted to point out, discuss? Yeah, well, uh, Gascon does yell it's a trap at once. Always a fun party <laughs> trick. Love that. But in, in keeping with what you're talking about there with like, uh, you know, the authors and and, and, and pulling these connections, uh, Dr. Gobachar is in Catalyst. Is he really? Uh, I looked at he is. Yeah. And and that book has a lot of, you know, Pago the Lesser shows up. A lot of things from Clone Wars and stuff in that era, prequel era pop in because the book 
partially takes place in that time, obviously. So I love that one. Deep, deep cut. Maybe want to kind of go revisit uh, catalyst and uh, find that. Oh yeah. I might crack open catalyst later today and see if I can find Dr. Gobachar and see how weird he is. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, Was there anything then in this arc that you ultimately disliked or questioned? There's a huge thing. I have a lot of outrage for this, Joseph. A lot of outrage for this. Uh, as a man with a beard, why did Gregor have to shave his beard to reconnect with his old self? I, I just don't agree with this. I don't. I know military protocol. I know clean shaven. I get it, but I liked that. I, I I wanted him to keep. I you know I forgot that he shaved the beard. I'm used to uh, from the days when we did databank uh, brawls, scrolling past uh, an image of uh, unshaven. Gregor in yeah. the databank. I forgot that he shaved so yeah. quickly and I felt it was a tragedy. That is a beautiful beard. Absolute tragedy. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Anyway, uh, great beard. Um, yeah. I think for me, th- there's nothing that I like actively disliked or questioned. I think uh, the only thing for me is, you know, like I said, watching all four of them in a row. Uh, some of the beats of comedy do kind of get repeated, um, you know, which I think works great if you're watching it once a week. Uh, it's some moments where like uh, I feel like, yep, I've heard that joke. <laughs> but that is a yeah. minor, minor uh, criticism of the, the sort of the comedy pacing. Um, but uh, overall, just really, really happy that we're doing Clone Wars Report to revisit uh, this arc and. Uh, find the depth in the comedy and find out how many beats of comedy really did land quite well for me. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I'm really pleasantly surprised by that. Yeah, as far as I agree with you, there's some some jokes and beats, especially at the end. I think it's fun. The, being four episodes, I think, does work for me. They're four pretty distinct episodes, but yeah, uh, uh, maybe could it have been three? I don't know. I don't have those skills to, to really answer that there, but I... I, I, I um, I do overall really love it. I just don't know if I'll invest in four episodes again. Yeah, I think if I was really like I, I, I wanna, I wanna uh, feel this <laughs> vibe again. I would, mm-hmm. I would watch a sunny day in the void. I think in some ways that yep. one's the got the most depth, uh, and in some ways the most action. I love the 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 Mister Borkus Gregor episode as well. Uh, but I also mm-hmm. do I like that it is four episodes because um, it does tap into that serial adventure, right? Of every time that they mm-hmm. think they have solved the problem, they encounter a new one. And the the episodes are structured really, really well for that. They each kind of end on either a moment of victory <laughs> or a cliffhanger, mm-hmm. uh, but they're really, really tied well together with the like out of the frying pan into the fire vibe that Star Wars to me is is structured on. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that we have not talked about that you wanted to touch on? No, we went in deep to Gascon and the D Squad, uh, D Squad, and I really, uh, I really think it deserves that kind of uh, deep dive and a lot of fun to do it here, all on the table. Yeah, last thing for me, I, I put it here because I was afraid I'd forget to put it somewhere else. I do love that uh, Amoeber makes a Frogger the video game like sound every time he hops. Mm. Right. Yes, and there's one real mo. I, you're right. I wrote that down too. Where there's one clear moment where he like does a frog leap. I'm like, there you go, pays off. <laughs> yep. There's. A, uh, I, I haven't done the deep dive to figure out if that's intentional, but it's I really, really love that. It's like, how is his body making that almost digital sound? Yeah. yeah absolutely. So uh, closing out as we do with a story of merch. If you could have a figure or any kind of merch from this arc, who or what do you want? 
I mean, you know, we need some supersized Mieber plushes. I don't know if there's a D squad. I should have looked that up. There's an actual D squad you can buy. There's things that we need. I would like though a six inch series Gregor with beard to, um, you know, because my love of beards, I, I would like that. Oh, I would love. Yeah, there, it'd be great if there was a six inch or a uh, vintage uh, Gregor where you could take the beard on and off. <laughs> mm. I love that. I love that. I'd also toss out if we could have like, it'd be like a little game, like a battery, battery operated kind of base game where you'd have a mouse droid and then you put a gonk droid on it and you see how far you can get across the floor and who goes farther wins. <laughs> I love that. Uh, definitely uh, mm. am interested in that product. Uh, see if I have room, but uh, I tried to make that pur- purchase. Oh, there's some great uh, customs for the D squad, including Gregor with the, uh, with a uh, beard and, and dishwashing vest. Mm. <laughs> That's some absolutely amazing stuff, but you know what I need, Ken, I deeply, yeah. deeply need in all sizes uh, of all action figures, including a cardboard standee. I need everything that star Wars can possibly throw at me for Mr. Borkus. <laughs> Oh yeah, which by the way, have we talked we did not talk about Borkus leaves work with his apron and sh- and cook's hat on. He just he just go, he's ready to go. He's ready for action. I can't imagine I that he I, I think Mr. Borkus is a sleep where he falls kind of guy. Yeah, and I think he lives alone. I got that Ooh. sense. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I don't know if canned beer exists in Star Wars, but he he pops a can. <laughs> of beer when he gets uh, home and he complains about it too yeah yeah absolutely. so that's what i need i need a mr borkus a deluxe vintage action figure with a big knife and a can of space beer yes absolutely <laughs> excellent big look at the d squad arc rediscovering it and everything there it's going on there next up we have uh, a huge arc to me ken uh, I'm calling it Maul Takes Mandalore. It's season five, episode one, then season five, episode 14, 15, 16. Uh, incredibly important uh, Kenobi moments, uh, incredibly important Maul moments. Uh, one of, in my opinion, the best lightsabers uh, fights in Star Wars. Huge things in this arc. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Absolutely, setting aside some time to dive in. We do every week, but yeah, this is it's a big one. It's a big one. I'm so excited to discuss it. Uh, Ken, what should the moral of this episode of our podcast be? If you are deciding whether or not to do your podcast, have your instincts take you where you need to go <laughs> and do it. That is a very good one. Don't just uh, stay on the ship not doing a podcast. Get out there. Do the podcast. Yeah. Where can people find us? Hey, everybody. We are the Force Center Podcast. We can be found on Twitter at Force Center Pod. We're on Instagram and YouTube as well. We'll be doing a, we'll be doing a live Q&A uh, uh, Force Center on YouTube show again very soon. We'll keep you updated on when that's coming. We're on Facebook at Force Center Podcast. You can get an audiobook on us by going to audibletrial.com slash Force Center. You can get merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. Podcasts available in a lot of different spots. ACAST, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Just search and find us on your favorite platform. And you can support us directly at patreon.com slash Ken. Uh, not, no, not that's me. Slash Force Center. <laughs> patreon.com slash Force Center. I've been doing that a lot lately. Maybe, uh, you know, hey, everyone check out my own Patreon page. Hey, to get to that and a lot of things I do, go to uh, uh KenNapsock.com, or you can follow me on Twitter and uh, Instagram at 
Ken Knapsack. I think probably on, on, on Twitter, I will publicly apologize to Stephen Stanton for saying that stuff to his <laughs> face about me for guess God. Uh, Joseph, where can they find Yeah, you? just a great, he does an amazing job as Mieber Gascon. I mean, the, the, this revisit mm. of the arc obviously uh, was rewarding to enjoy the arc even more, but man, it, it's a phenomenal uh, voice it, acting performance. So, just a little context of that conversation. I'm sorry, no, cutting you off fine, there on your, your promotion. We we were having this dinner. We used to go to there's an Italian restaurant in Brentwood that he and his manager team they go and they're the great folks. We'd hang out and haven't had the chance to do it lockdown all that kind of stuff in a while. But he was showing like a, a, someone had made. I think it was even his brother who had made like custom models of all the voices hmm. Stephen had, had done at the time. Some of the bigger ones, Tarkin and whatnot. And then he brings up Mieber and he's like, oh, and there's even he even does Mieber Gascon. And I'm just like, because almost like I'm a punk kid. I'm like. Oh, I got to tell you, Stephen, I just hate, I just hate Mieber Gascon, man. <laughs> I'm like, what, I'm, I was an a-hole. And he's just like, he la- oh, yeah, well, I love Mieber. I love him. And, and he does a little bit of the Mieber voice. And I just, yeah, so there you go. I'm going to have to apologize. But yeah, there's custom, the custom Mieber stuff. Is out there. Oh, that's great. That's great. It's uh, totally understandable to want to be honest uh, with, a, with a friend over dinner is not <laughs> that big of a jerk move. <laughs> I just felt it, especially now. But anyways, uh, that's my story. Uh, again, where's your story? Where can they find you and all you? Yeah, you can find me Twitter, Instagram, TikTok is at Joseph Scrimshaw. And you can check out lots of other things uh, by visiting my, my website, josephscrimshaw.com, including uh, a Patreon for my podcast, Obsessed. Links to TV shows I've written, plays that I've done, all sorts of stuff on my website, josephscrimshaw.com. So check that out. But for now, for myself... Uh, For Gregor's beard, (laughs) this has been the Clone Wars Report. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.